Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to another episode of Be Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky. We are continuing our Fabulous Person's Guide to the Future of Work 2025. And Bips, we're on episode seven. And episode seven is DEI, Accelerate or Fizzle Out. So the other topics we've covered is post the post-COVID world, what's going to rebound, what's going to stick. Emotional Kevlar, that becomes the key to success. Adaptability and reskilling matters more than ever. Group unity, conversations we weren't trained for. And then last week we did socially conscious companies becoming mainstream. So today we are tackling DEI, accelerate or fizzle out. So Bips, what a conversation, huh? I sure hope it doesn't fizzle out. <laughs> um, you know, it's probably the best place to start. Um, yeah, it's a great, I think it's a great conversation. I think this one, this one is, um, it's also, I think, a topic that's on many people's hearts. It's very much part of the social consciousness, particularly here in the States. And uh, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Me too. And Zips, last time we talked about social consciousness and how important it is for leaders going forward. And we also touched on one of the areas that they need to focus in on is diversity, equity and inclusion. And there's various acronyms, DNI, DEI, DIE, but essentially it's, it's those three, three dimensions. I heard another one, Jedi. Jedi. Justice, equity, diversity Ooh. and inclusion. I had another Ooh. one. I like it. All right. Okay. It's probably going to add lots of letters, like the LGBTQ. I probably just watched that one up. I-A. <laughs> there are always so many letters. I love looking them up and seeing what they stand for and what they mean. So this agenda has been going on for, for many years, uh, you know, long, very long time, since before even the time of, of, of Dr. King. And... When we look at it through the lens of organizations, we, we, we tend to see it in three phases. And phase one is all about diversity. So do we have the talent pool that reflects how we are experiencing diversity in the communities in which we live? So it's looking at the makeup of the organization and is it reflective of the community and the world we live in? And that tends to be a big focus for a lot of companies. Then we get to phase two and phase two is all about inclusion. So it now goes beyond, do you have the right makeup and mix of individuals that are reflective of the community and the world you live in? But what is their experience of being included as part of the team? Do they feel like they have a seat at the table? Do they have a fair sense of their share of roles and responsibilities and a voice that needs to be heard? Um, and then we get into the third phase, which gets even more tricky, which is equity. So it's no longer, are they part of the team? Do they have a voice? But do they feel like they belong? So we all know how we each have our own areas of insecurity and we all feel like the outsider and we all feel like we're a little bit different and we're not worthy and imposter syndrome and all the rest. But actually when you have differentiating qualities that are now recognized um, and you end up being a minority in that particular area, then it can feel harder and harder to feel like you are part of a, a group with shared experiences and shared beliefs. And 
equity becomes even harder. So it's absolutely wonderful that companies are now going beyond just the, 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 talent, the talent pool. But we know that phase one is so hard just on its own, let alone trying to get into uh, phase two and, and phase three. And it's, it's so important from a social justice perspective. And we also know that a year ago, uh, compared to today, much less energy and money is being spent on it. It was all the rage, uh, literally here a year ago in the US. Uh, and right now, and there's still the agendas, they're still going on, but it doesn't seem to have the same wind beneath the sails. It's not in the press as much. It's not as talked about as much in organizations. It's still there, but it's not got the same energy it had. If the energy levels were uh, 10 or 11 or 12 last year, they're more at a six or a seven, I would say this year. Um, so what are you, what's your experience of that, Liz? Yeah, I think, I mean, you, sum, you summarized it really well. I mean, I think, you know, probably just worthwhile. My fundamental view on this is we are talking about seriously complex topic, uh, you know, to tackle at an organizational level. It, it's not, I think it's so easy to, 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 you know, look at, you know, recruitment and to pick specific process areas. And diversity, I think a good diversity start. training. And yeah. And, and these, these are good things. Don't, don't get me wrong. These are very, very, very good things. But, you know, you, you start getting into, into kind of, you know, definitions of, well, what constitutes equity? Is equity treating everyone exactly the same? Or is equity making accommodations for, for, for people who have been systemically underserved in the past and therefore... Uh, you're going to overinvest in in some of those people in order to create, to make it fair, okay? And then you get into, well, what is fair? You know, I mean, so, you know, and that, yeah, these, yeah, are, yeah, yeah. these and are, I've, I've, you know. I've got a great example of that. You, you know, you, you're reminding me as you're speaking. I, I was at a TEDx event a couple of years ago in Seattle. Uh, and there was somebody who does a lot of prosecuting speaking. And he's talking about this topic. And he said, you know, I had to look at this topic completely differently because I used to focus in on um, what I thought was treating everyone the same. You know, that was the basis of what I was doing, um, equ equality at, at all costs. And he took an example of if two people come into his courtroom and one is somebody who works in tech in Seattle, um, is an executive and gets pulled over by the cops and gets, you know, a fine and gets slapped on the wrist and has to do a bit of time versus uh, an undocumented immigrant who might be pulled over in the same situation. And if he was given the fine and given a bit of time, a night in jail or whatever it might be, you know, it could be catastrophic for his life. He could get deported, he couldn't afford it, the whole world could fall apart. But whereas for the tech exec, it's, you know, it's, it's a good story to tell somebody in the pub. Yeah. And so he had to start looking at you know, this whole idea of what is equity based on, what is the end goal that we're trying to achieve, and then tailor it to the situation he was finding. And I found it such a fascinating concept that it's it's not treating everyone the same for the sake of that. You know, it's, it's what is the end goal of what you're trying to achieve to create a feeling of belonging and parity and fairness. And then based on that, how do you tailor that right. based on your situation? Right. And whenever you, I mean, I'll give you another funny analogy. I mean, you probably heard this one before, but you know, let, let's say I'm, let's say I'm, I'm at a Disney parade. Yeah. With my son who, well, actually my son is taller than me now, but five years ago when my son was a lot, my son was a lot shorter than me. Okay. And you've got a big crowd in front of you. Yeah. 
the fact that we're all standing in a line, is that fair given he's, you know, four foot two and, and I'm, you know, five foot eight or something and I can see it, he can't. I have to give him the accommodation of a box or lift him high up so he can see, right? It's not his fault that he's four foot, four foot two. So yeah. I'm having to invest more energy in elevating him in order so that we both have a fair view of the parade. But from an organizational point of view, that's like saying, well, so you want me to, <laughs> you want me to hire someone and then invest more in them to bring them up relative to what's available in the marketplace for someone in this scenario who's already five foot eight and can see, right? Where, where what to do? And and so you know, you get into this kind of challenge, which you know, which then you know, it's murky territory in terms of you know, because because the minute you the minute you change your definition away from treat everyone the same, then you're going to have winners and losers. Mm-hmm. There's no and way you also, can't have winners and losers. And also it becomes a lot more subjective. It's That's not, right. It's, it's not... Um... Which, then open, which then creates legal risk and precedent and so forth. And, you know, one of the things that I see a lot is a lot of these, this kind of conversation over the last year just kind of got pushed underground because you couldn't have a conversation about that. I've, you couldn't do it without the risk of offending someone or or coming across racist or sexist or, you know, it became very hard to have that conversation in the, in the crucible of an organization because it was, it was so hot mm -hmm. and you're half worried it's going to show up on Glassdoor, it's going to show up in Twitter, it's going to, you know, it's just been really, really difficult to, to, to create, you know, we talk about safe space from the perspective of minorities, but it's also a safe space from the perspective of elevating a very complex sea level challenge that, it's hard to even talk about. Um, yeah. And that, those things, you know, they've always been a challenge, but I think this topic really brings it out a lot more. So Phipps, given the depth of complexity uh, ar yeah. around all of this, and it's not easy to solve and some good strides are being made. Yeah, what do you do? How, how can leaders really think about this, this journey uh, in a, like, let's give them a mental model or framework that they can actually really get their heads around. Like, how do I start all this? Because I can understand that, recruitment, I can understand the unconscious bias training, you know, those types of things. But beyond that, it feels like you guys have opened up yeah. a can of worms that are a bit too scary and I don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. This topic, you know, issue close to my heart. And, you know, I, I sort of about six months ago, I started thinking about this through the lens of like the very senior executive, the CEO, the president. And and, you know, this is the kind of pattern I kept seeing across clients. And, I, you know, I'm not saying this is the right answer. I'm just saying this pattern we saw. So, you know, you know, in the wake of, you know, in the wake of, um, you know, George Floyd and the issues last year where it completely blew up, you know, you kind of had this strong motivation. We should do something. Well, we've, got, we've got to do something. I would suggest every significant business leader felt that we've got to do something. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the reaction turned into a kind of a, well, we should probably do some, like, let's talk to our CHRO, our people officer. Let's figure out what we can do. And it normally resulted in some kind of training or something to start the dialogue. Okay. Yeah, and you, yeah. and that, that's, that, that was the answer. And then as you, as you do some training and you start the dialogue, um, you know, the training tends to be around unconscious bias or whatever. Okay. And, and what then happens is as you do that, you realize, oh, gosh. This is actually really quite complex. It's uh, it's so multifaceted, and it's not just race. It's race. It's gender. It's sexual orientation. It's disabilities. It's ageism. It's and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Right? It, it's 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 enormous. 
And so you get this idea that, wow, this is really complex. You know what? I got to find a DEI leader to, to run with this because it's just too much. I, I, I can't, mm-hmm. there's no way I can make this my priority. Otherwise I'll, I, I won't be, I won't be doing my fiduciary responsibilities to all the other aspects of my organization. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then what happens is you get a DEI leader. Okay. And then what happens is, you know, a DEI leader comes in and bearing in mind, they don't grow on trees. They're really, you know, there's, it's a new competency, a leadership area. So you end up with um, a mission statement. Okay. You end up with, I'm going to, I'm going to create our, what's our DEI mission. What's our, and you typically roll out some version of, of um, extended unconscious bias training or some compliance mechanisms that are going to feed into recruitment processes and the way we evaluate people and so forth, which is good. It's great. Okay. But then there's a realization that, gosh, you know what? This is endemic. It's everywhere, right? Mm-hmm, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like a metastasized tumor. It's everywhere. It's not just in one place. And then it's like, well, we better look at, look at our data and, and really understand what we should do. Like, it's, it's like, you know, cause it, cause it's easy to turn into a, he or she who's screaming the loudest gets the attention. Mm-hmm. So how do we figure out that we're investing appropriately? So then you end up with some kind of audit that typically occurs, you know, how many people do we have from this place? What's the general feeling about X? You know, how are we doing in this area relative to Y? Some kind of survey, engagement, DI survey, whatever, you get to that place. And then what happens is, oh God, realization moment happens. Wow, this is enormous. And it's long-term. That's a long-term investment that we're going to have to do for years and years and years. Are we really up for that? Okay. And I think that's where you get this, do we double down and accelerate? Or does it fizzle out because we've got to worry about customers and we've got to worry about getting back to our business imperatives and, you know, post-COVID future of work and da, 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 da. Something, you know, something else is now in the collective consciousness as being just as or more important, but maybe more highlighted at the moment. And so I think that's where organizations get to a lot. Yeah, and if they want to double down, what is the mental model we can give them? Right. So if they want to double down, then the mental model, the framework that that we recommend is really, you know, look at it as across four major dimensions. There there are actually 12 dimensions, but they, they group into four sets of three. And the argument is that if you don't have all four of these, then you need to be able to assess across all of these 12 dimensions and then in order to know where to double down on your on your on your investment of time and energy because it's going to be finite so those four big buckets are you know at a big picture level do we have leadership alignment of the future intent and so what i mean by that do we have a clarity of vision from a gender point of view or from a race point of view or from a sexual orientation point of view as to what we are what is our vision for this what's that level of buy-in and what i mean by level of buy-in is is it is it at all levels of the organization or is it just 15 or 20 people who are very loud about it mm-hmm. okay and then the third one is committed leadership and that's really the extent to which is 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 the leadership of the organization as a whole sufficiently up for that kind of challenge because it's a bumpy road. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's the big picture. That's the leadership alignment and future intent. The second area is really financial commitment. 
It's, are we, because this kind of behavior change is inherently long-term, whether you call it behavior change, whether you call it culture change, it is not going to happen because of a silver bullet. It just doesn't work that way. So here, under financial, financial commitment, we've got, are we prepared to put together a sustainable program of funding, you know, for the next five years, seven years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years? So, you know, that could just be a budget amount committed per year, or it could be, you know, are we, pre are we prepared to co commit, you know, a percent of our profit, a percentage of our profit each year to fund these causes? So, you know, as opposed to, well, let's just figure out what we can afford to do this year and mm -hmm. take it from there to get that sustainability. Okay. Am I prepared to, do I, do I have the financial commitment for an education what we call rewiring an education program that we're gonna that we're gonna continue to, to not just kickstart but have across our orientation, our training, our events, our the the, the, the social fabric of your organization mm -hmm. and cultural fabric. And thirdly, um, how are we going to use our financial commitment through our partner and community ecosystem? You know, through our supply chain, through our vendors, through our partners. Are we really prepared to? you know, do more work with minority-owned businesses? Are we, are we going to enforce our standards on diversity, you know, right across our supply chain, even if that means the product's going to cost more? You know, those yeah, sorts put, of things. Put our money where our mouth is. Put right? our money where our mouth is. So yeah. I think that one, that one is, is a tough one. But in my opinion, you, 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 it's very hard to get the financial commitment if that leadership alignment to the future intent isn't clear. Mm -hmm. So there's a sequential aspect to it. And then the third dimension is just operationalizing. And operationalizing is very much, you know, adopt, adapting the key, key processes for DEI. And I think this is something that I think we're quite good at, as our organizations are quite good at this. So this is, what are we doing in our recruitment processes? What are we doing from a performance management and promotion point of view in terms of how we develop our talent? Or maybe what, you know, our, our engagement with um, colleges and universities from, you know, historically minority background um, centric and, and thinking of leadership colleges. succession and yeah. who's on the bench yeah and, uh, totally do we you know what, what's the next generation of women or of, of people with different sexual orientations and gender identities and yeah. and so forth like you know different races are, are we are we cultivating those from a from an overall structural point of view yeah. And then obviously compensation would be the last one, right? Are we doing something silly that we shouldn't be doing around compensation equity and so forth? So I think that kind of stuff is where I think that a disproportionate amount of our energy is being spent. The problem is, my view is it will fizzle out if you only do that and you don't have the financial commitment in the big picture. And that's my fear. So I think the organizations where it feels like it's fizzling out, it's because the financial commitment in the big picture was never really strong in the first place. Yeah. And so the knee-jerk stuff in operationalization occurred, but but now it's getting hard and it's no longer... And it still only sticks to phase one, which is all about Correct. talent. It doesn't really get to phase Correct. two or three, which is... But it gets a little bit to inclusion as well, I think. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, but definitely not to phase three, which right. is, do I feel like I belong? Right. And that's the fourth dimension, which is, well, how do I feel about this? You know, at the end of the day, do I feel, you know, you could have everything that structurally looks like there's equity and it's, you still feel like you don't belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, you know, that is ultimately, I would suggest to you, is going to be about three things. Number one, and probably most important, my manager's behavior. Mm -hmm. Because we know that's the number one determinant to whether people like their jobs or whether they leave or not. Mm -hmm. Two, 
is that there's the type of communication quality and frequency. Like, uh, and when I mean communication, I don't just mean emails. I mean how we interact and communicate with each other across all of our channels and and all of our forums and when we get together and how we run our calls and Zoom meetings and everything else. How, how is that promoting a sense of feeling like you belong rather than being maybe overly transactional or worse, um, kind of uh, reinforcing existing unconscious bias, mm-hmm. okay? And last and not least is emotional safety and belonging. I mean, fundamentally, do I, do I, do I feel like I can be myself in this environment without being uh, judged in an inappropriate way? And those, the, all those 12 dimensions are all measurable, Vicky. We can measure them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I, I, you know, the reason why we create that framework was because I got really frustrated with companies continuing to invest in areas that we're already quite good at. And, and so the idea was, you know, if we, if we assess across all those dimensions, then if I'm really, if I'm really low in sustainable program or in partner and ecosystem, but I'm pretty good on com- communi- compensation, equity, and recruitment, then I probably shouldn't work. I should probably spend more time on the areas that are lower so that the impact is greater rather than just doing more of the same and hoping something radical is going to occur. No, and it's a, it's a brilliant framework and we'll be popping it into the, the, the show notes uh, on our website so people can see it as well because it's, it's helpful to be able to see beyond the, the tactics and the strategies to execute. You know, what is going to make these kinds of programs really have the sustainability and the long-term teeth that's going to change the nature of the game so people feel like they belong and is that something that organizations are, are willing to do and it's great to have that model to say yes or no and if it's no then what am i prepared to do and, and that's okay too and then own it exactly i think the worst thing we can do as leaders is promise the earth when it comes to dei and then not have the ability to deliver because yeah I, I think actually that makes that makes it worse Mm-hmm. You know, it, it actually makes it even worse. Yeah. Um, well, then everybody's tiptoeing around, but they don't really have the, the long-term teeth and it just becomes this really awkward place to be. Yeah, agreed. So, so we've got the model. Uh, and now if we think about how do you go about implementing that model? Yeah. You know, what would you say the, you know, the, the different journey stages are? Yeah, what I would say is, you know, at a very simple level, you know, I, I, my, what I say is if you're feeling like, you know, you're, your DI program needs a bit more, needs a bit more pep in its step. It needs to be reinvigorated. It needs to be, you don't want it to fizzle out. You want it to extend. I think you have to do some kind of audit, for want of a better phrase, against those, like those dimensions I mentioned for each of the categories that you care about, whether it's gender, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's race, whether it's whatever. And mm-hmm. I think you use that to create your, your scorecard as an organization. And then I think what you do is you use that then to drive really a, a, a three-year and a one-year program. So a three-year directional intent and a one-year set of KPIs. And I think those things, the roadmap will always have a certain number of push initiatives. These are the things that we are, we are going to push through the organization because we believe they're really, really important. So, you know, and there will be different things for different by organization. But then I think it's really important to create a pull toolkit and these are like the components that, that, you know, different business units or departments or organizational units are going to want at different points in time, like best practices around DEI, cultural tuning, 
you know, recruitment, how do I do recruitment diversity well? How do I handle an awkward issue with someone from an underrepresented minority? You know, how do I do supplier diversity if I have to do it? You know, how do I policy review something that I'm trying to do to make sure I'm not, I'm not inadvertently um, propagating a systemically inequitable arrangement? You know, that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. so that's more of a, you know, as different departments and leaders and managers realize the need, then, then they can come to us and we'll know how to support that. But we don't aggressively push it out because it feels like, it feels like you're over, overplaying your hand then. And then the last one is, you know, for us, is the mindset shifting program and the education rewiring that has to occur. I think, mean, Vicky, you should probably talk to that because you've been, you've been instrumental in the, in the kind of composition of that. And, and this is really, this kind of goes along with, with, you know, how you make this come to life inside your organization. Yeah, so, you know, when we think about the, the mindset shifting, the way we like to do that is in two stages. The one is to come together and have a, a, a community that is going through an experience of common language, framework, mindset around particular topics and then have one-on-one -on -one sessions of the back of those to work through each individual's particular belief systems and views and takeaways that they want to put in place. And so, you know, we, we, we're calling this program Shift Up to a Fabulous World, because to us a fabulous world is when you do have social justice and people feel like they belong, no matter what their, no matter what their flavor uh, of whatever it might be that makes them a little unique and different. And so we have four pillars and the first pillar is all about the fabulous foundations. So it's designed at its core to focus in on the core areas that everybody must master. And so the kinds of components that we discuss in our modules are around the big challenge. Just as Vips laid out, can you actually get your head around the size and scale of the problem and see it beyond what seems to be training and a bit of recruitment. So can you get your head, head around the history, the language, the landscape, the dimensions in a way that's not overwhelming, but you can really get the size and scope of what we're talking about. <clears throat> Another module is all about creating safety agreements. So when we feel threatened, it's very difficult to open up about what we're really feeling. So learning the language of safety first, and how to create that kind of environment becomes absolutely critical. The third foundation is all about rewiring our biases. So firstly, recognizing that we all have these, these biases. And I think there's a lot of amazing training out there right now that dives into that and people coming away with, oh, I didn't think I was biased, but now I'm realizing uh, I really am. I saw a wonderful uh, video uh, of somebody at an event and uh, a black lady and she stood up and she said uh, it was predominantly a white audience and she said to everybody stand up if you want to be treated like I do like I am stand up and everybody shuffled in their chairs and nobody stood up and she said come on stand up if you you haven't heard me if you want to be treated how I get treated every single day stand up and all these white folks were just shuffling in their chairs and you know, I, I thought it was a wonderful way to cut through the noise of, well, I don't see color or, or this or that. It's like, well, actually we do, because if you're not standing up, you know that somehow they're being treated differently, you know, so you know that there's a problem. So why aren't you doing something about it? So this is all about rewiring those biases and, and learning the neuroscience of why we see the world the way we do. 
And then the, the fourth area... Vicky, Vicky, can I just comment on that? Mm-hmm. I, I think what sometimes gets lost is, you know, people don't realise that our biases, I mean, all of them, right, any kind of bias, like I have a bias towards coffee and I'm a, snob, I'm a coffee snob, so I have a bias, I have a bias towards, towards good coffee rather than bad coffee. <laughs> I have a bias. So I'm, I'm just, all of these things are... Our, our, our default wiring that we've had and they, they allow us to function each day without having to make a gazillion, like without having to think through everything to the nth degree every time. So my, my point I'm trying to get across is, you know, biases exist as a, as a coping mechanism to allow us to have relatively frictionless days, okay? So, so just, you know, this idea that biases are just inherently bad is probably not a good way of looking at it. It's more like some of our biases are driving things that we don't, we're not happy about, we don't want to have in the world, we don't want to have with our yeah, colleagues and un- our peers. The unintended consequences. Yeah, and I think sometimes I think you know, so don't turn biases into a bad word. We need we need biases. We go nuts, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's, but some of them can be harmful and hurtful. Completely. Yeah. Good catch, Vips. And, and then the fourth area is what we call checkers chess or go so what game are you really playing uh, and is it a short-term tactical game or is it a long-term game and what is what is the definition of success so so that's really our our first pillar it, it's really around the foundations get your head around the big challenge create safety think about the biases and how they're serving you and what game are you wanting to play and then our second pillar is all about reinventing hiring and we know companies are doing a lot of that but how do you widen aperture when you're sourcing for candidates? Um, how do you reset your filters if you're thinking about cultural fit? Uh, how do you think about the hiring decision so that you're creating flexible checks and balances? And how are you making sure that you have a solid one-year commitment that individuals that you're bringing on board really are thriving a year later? So companies are doing a lot in that space, but we're looking at all the different areas where you can potentially fall down and making sure you're very targeted as those different areas as you think about this pillar. Hey, Vicky, on that one, two comments. The things I see most in terms of the fall downs are the process is finding the candidates and sourcing the candidates, but someone somewhere more senior has decided already who they're going to hire anyway, right? So, so it's kind of, it kind of, you know, that that that's where the bias can be yeah. hurtful to the process. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one that I see a lot on that second one is when, when you're – when you're trying to increase the diverse pool and you you want to create that equity, then then you have to accept that the there's going to be a cost and a consequence to the support mechanisms for an extended period of time for that that person because they're different, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I think that's why this kind of you know so that I would suggest your recruitment doesn't end at the point at which someone's hired. Recruitment ends six to twelve months afterwards when they haven't left. Yeah, which is why we have that one-year commitment yeah. as a as a key, a key point. And then our third pillar is is then what you're touching on there, which is reinventing managing. So, how do you manage respectfully, where you can still have strong conversations, honest conversations, set great agreements, but managing the the cultural context in a respectful way? Uh, how do you give fee forward, which we love to call it, which is about the best we can be going forward? Um, without um, hiding what you want to say, but not doing it in a way that you are creating any racial or other kinds of misunderstandings. 
how do you focus in on, on performance and create a, a system that people feel they can trust and believe in um, and that it will do justice for the, the kind of growth that individuals want and the additional responsibilities and the work that they're actually doing. And then finally, how to develop your senses to be aware of the landmines. And this can be around particular word choice or areas and topics to go through and topics not to go through and what that really looks like. So there's, there's much to be considered as we think about potential landmines in this area, because again, it's not something that many of us got taught, you know, in traditional management theory. This is a whole new world of navigating right now. And then finally, our fourth pillar is all around leadership conviction. And so this goes back to your, your first quadrant that you talked about in the framework, which is, does the business equation work? You know, is this, is this a short term quick fix uh, that you can put on your website as part of a little bit of a marketing campaign? Or is this something you're prepared to invest in year after year so that you can make the business equation over time really work and and give it teeth beyond putting someone in the lead role who heads up this role, but how do you make sure that all leaders have the conviction to do what's right as it comes to this particular topic? And, and they're willing to make the hard trade-offs you know, for the long-term investment because people are gonna be all over the place when it comes to this issue. You know, a third of the people want you to do more, a third will want you to do less, um, and some will just want to just keep the status quo or, be, or blowing other ways. So it's knowing the trade-offs and, and, and the definition of what is winning to you as an organization, because if you don't define that, then you're going to always anchor to more of the, the tactical, the phase one, the bit of the phase two, but you're never going to get to belonging. So that is, that is our framework as we think about the mindset shifting. It's a series of of conversations with groups of people around these really important topics and then one-on-one -on -one sessions to to get people to open up and where are they and what are they believing about all these topics and what's the journey they need to go on to get on board or not uh, and then the consequences yeah you know vicky it's it's uh it's probably worth mentioning that it's quite painful because mm. what it does is it, you know, so it's pain. The topic is painful anyway. But then, when you when you really put an organization on the microscope with a, with a group of leaders that are prepared to go through it, um, you know, you hit this kind of tension between how, how I wish the world was and how much do I how, how much can I really have a sensible level of control or influence over? I mean, quite frankly, without going bust, right, and, and still be solvent, yeah. And I, I think those things are. They're real. They, they they exist, and they are. And, and it's and very very hard because, you know, as a leader, if you play those roles, it's so easy. Like this is one of those examples where you can do everything in your power and you still get spat at for not doing enough. Yeah. And, and you know, it's it's a, it's a, or, or, or like any change program. You know, you put so much effort and energy in it, and after a few years, you just it feels just so hard because. It's such an emotional journey and they're very little wins that you're seeing along the way even though they're great wins and they're tangible and they're practical but the end journey is so far out yeah and, and to be honest most executives know they won't be there to see the benefits mm -hmm. of that because of the average tenure of an executive so yeah. you know it, it is a very structurally a difficult thing to tackle but then you know which makes it very hard to truly accelerate. So my, my, you know, my overall, this is one of those times where, uh, 
Well, I, I think, you know, the tortoise is going to beat the hare. I agree. You know, it, it's got to yeah. be, it's got to be, Slow it's, it's better to be, it's got to be, you know, ever-present force moving us in that direction rather than headline-grabbing, high amplitude, then it fizzles out, high amplitude, then it fizzles out, high amplitude, then it fizzles out. And, and I think that's actually very, very hard. I, I think you have to have a real, um, you know, leaders have to be a particular brand of fabulousness to take that on. And that's, I think, why it's so easy to feel underwhelmed from an organizational point of view with how much is actually being achieved as opposed to how much is being said is being done. It's, it's a complex topic. Agreed. All right. Well, but if anyone's yeah. listening to this who is fabulous enough and does want to take it on, we we, we don't want it to fizzle out. We want to. Yeah, and we've got a we've got a great framework as we've gone through in terms of guiding you through this. It's doable, but it's just knowing that you're in it for the long haul. All right, L- long term commitment only for this one. Any closing comments? No, nah, it's, it's 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 really you know I, I just hope you know I, I'm very optimistic about this, but I also know that this kind of topic it's always going to ebb and flow from a history point of view. There's going to be you know, there's going to be years where we make lots of progress and there's going to be years where things go quiet and there's going to be years where we make more progress. And, and um, you know, I, what I think is quite interesting is, you know, so much more of this is being talked about in legal circles and policy circles. And, you know, those sorts of changes happening there, even things like, you know, one underrepresented minority person and, and a female has to be on every board of a, you know, from an SEC point of view. These, these are, they may seem small for many companies, but they're also, over the course of time, they, they have a huge impact. And um, they don't headline grab maybe as much as some of the things might, but they, they are, I have a lot of optimism, but only, only if you're a marathon runner. Yeah, no, good, good takeaway there. All right, so this is our... Our takeaway for our topic of DEI, uh, is it going to fizzle out or accelerate? So our position is, well, it's not going to be either. It's not going to fizzle out or accelerate. They're going to be ebbs and flows. And we encourage you as fabulous leaders, stay the course, do what's in your control and just take the small steps. We'll be posting the framework for you to look at to figure out what your next step is and continue the journey to being fabulous. We're with you. See you next time. See you next time.